why organizations struggle with privileged access management, and is the NSA targeting SWIFT? These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's security report with a simple question. Why is it so hard for organizations to get privileged access management right? It's a question that my colleague and ISMG Senior Vice President of Editorial, Tom Field, has given much thought to. And he joins me now to answer that question. Welcome, Tom. Eric, thanks so much for having me with you. Why do organizations struggle with privileged access management? As you know, in the past year or so, I've literally traveled the world talking to people about privileged access management. And it really comes down to a couple of things. One is, is a lack of policy and, and controls even, but it also fundamentally comes down to the complexity of managing IT. It's one thing to manage privileged access within the bounds of an enterprise's traditional IT center. Add to that all the things that we deal with today, the cloud, mobility, partners, remote employees, and then there's outsourcing. We outsource much of IT management, including systems administration. That only adds extra layers and levels of complication with people who need access to the applications and systems that run the IT organization, the ones they need to function. In some situations, your outsourcing vendor could have more than one person administering systems, which is another level of complication. So a couple of other reasons that managing privileged access can prove to be so tough. One is that many CIOs and CISOs just plain trust their administrators. They don't believe there's going to be any intentional harm, and they're not really prepared for unintentional harm. Another, these same CIOs and CISOs are accountable by their bosses to keep IT operational with few or no interruptions. Alex Mosher is a global vice president at CA Technologies, and I caught up with him recently at our ISMG Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in San Francisco. If I have to disrupt their business flow, their business process, if I actually slow things down, if a system goes down and it's harder for an admin to go in and fix it, that's just going to reflect negatively on me. Finding the people, the processes, and the technology to gel together that doesn't impact business, I think is very, very key, and I think that's the piece that's oftentimes overlooked. How do organizations address the problem? need a lot more governance and they need to have policies that they recognize they enforce, but also with increased reliance on technology. Elizabeth Lawler is a chief executive of the data security firm Conjure. And in a recent conversation with our colleague, healthcare info security executive editor Marianne Kolbasuk McGee, she told us that there's an arsenal of tools that organizations can employ to help them manage privileged access. One of those tools, configuration management. Configuration management tools have the ability to install and reboot servers at the speed of light. They have access to very powerful credentials that allow connectivity to sensitive databases. Those are very powerful tools, but there needs to be a check and balance system on the other side of that that says, what is this that we're allowed to do and under whose authority and how can we better control or minimize potential bad actors from exploiting that? I guess behavioral analytical tools should be thrown into that mix. Absolutely. And this is something you hear about increasingly as you talk with security leaders today. What they'll tell you is that administrators' behaviors are fairly consistent. They start their day by launching their windows. They manage and do their normal tasks throughout their shift. But what happens if they diverge from their normal routine, if they start at a different time of day accessing different types of systems? That's where the behavioral analytics come in and help prevent problems downstream by showing you what normal behavior is. Once you understand normal, then you can easily track abnormal. Here again is CA's Alex Mosher. 
when a privileged user credentialed themselves, but all of a sudden they're connecting to the mainframe and they want to get a data dump off the mainframe. Should I re-authenticate them? Should I kick them out of that session? And should that all happen before all this data gets into my SIM system that says, you know, Alex went in and got a data dump off the mainframe for some reason, and then I got to go back and question them. Emosha says this monitoring doesn't have to be continuous. But when there is a behavioral anomaly, right, having that behavioral anomaly identified up front and then saying, you know what, maybe I want to record this session. I want to actually monitor what they're doing. Maybe I'll do that stepped up challenge and then also uh, instantiate the, uh, the recording uh, process as well. Privileged access management is something I've had the, the privilege, I guess I would say, to speak about with security leaders literally around the world. And my take on it is that they clearly understand now what the problem is. They understand why this has to be addressed. But now is the time for them to take seriously the notion that they need to use the policies, the tools, the enforcement to address this issue. It's critical. Thanks, Tom. My pleasure. The ISMG Security Report continues after this. Innovation of Information Sharing, presented by Michael Daniel, President, Cyber Threat Alliance, and former White House Cybersecurity Coordinator. That, plus the FBI, DOJ, and more industry influencers at ISMG's Breach Summit in Washington, D.C. Visit ismgcorp.com to register today. Is the U.S. National Security Agency targeting SWIFT, the messaging system designed to assure that money moving messages between banks are secure? According to new documents dumped online by the Shadow Brokers Group, the NSA apparently has targeted SWIFT service bureaus in the Middle East. I'm joined by Data Breach Today editor Matthew Schwartz to discuss the latest developments involving SWIFT and the NSA. Welcome, Matt. Hi, Eric. Who are the Shadow Brokers? The Shadow Brokers is a shadowy organization, which a lot of security experts believe is tied somehow to Russia. They've made a reputation for themselves through leaking stolen tools that appear to have been obtained from the National Security Agency's Tailored Access Operations Group, the internal hacking team at the NSA. So what's the most intriguing surprise in the latest dump? The new release details projects that either target or would have attempted to target SWIFT using organizations. In particular, there were two projects, one of which was apparently actively exploiting and another one which was a planned exploit of SWIFT service bureaus. These service bureaus are used by probably almost three quarters of financial services firms that interface with the SWIFT interbank messaging network to handle all of their SWIFT-related activity. The fact that the NSA was allegedly targeting SWIFT service bureaus in order to keep an eye on various messages that were occurring. So how money was moving globally is a very interesting finding. Why would the NSA want to keep an eye on SWIFT? What they are probably doing is attempting to follow the money when it comes to tracing terrorist organizations. It's probably a bit of an anti-money laundering move by the NSA to help provide intelligence to U.S. policymakers about how the money is flowing and to then bring perhaps diplomatic pressure to bear when certain things need to be stopped. Or maybe the NSA was just hacking into the systems and moving the money itself. But from an intelligence standpoint, knowing how money is flowing is obviously a vital political tool. 
The latest Shadow Brokers dump included numerous exploits designed to compromise various versions of the Microsoft operating system. Should users be worried? A lot of security experts for years have said you're more likely to get pwned, for example, by a phishing attack than you are by the NSA. If the NSA is coming after you, you're probably not going to be able to withstand whatever cocktail combination of things they're using to try to get to your data or to compromise your system. Now, a lot of enterprises are relying on operating systems and software, which has known flaws. Some of those have been targeted by these equation group, aka NSA, attack tools. For example, some of the flaws revealed targeted Windows Server 2003. Others have targeted outdated Windows operating systems. The operative word there is outdated. These aren't the only attack tools that can own old versions of Windows or other types of software. This is just a reminder that if you're not using updated tools, then you can expect to get hacked by somebody. And Microsoft did patch these exploits, right? The timing of Microsoft's patching is very interesting. The names of these attack tools were previewed by the shadow brokers in January. In February, Microsoft canceled its monthly patch update. In March, Microsoft released patches for all these tools. And in April, after shadow brokers released the attack tools, Microsoft for the first time said, oh yes, we've patched against all these last month, which begs the obvious question of who tipped Microsoft off about not just the names of these attack tools, but the specific vulnerabilities in its products that these attack tools were exploiting. Obviously, it looks like Microsoft got a heads up from the NSA. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Researchers at security provider Symantec have discovered what they contend are strong correlations between hacking techniques used by a group called Longhorn and CIA documents released earlier this month by WikiLeaks. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk filed this report. Semantic says that upwards of 40 targets in 16 countries have shown signs of attack by Longhorn, which the company did not explicitly call out as the CIA. Semantic says the tools used by Longhorn closely follow development timelines and technical specifications laid out in the WikiLeaks document. It leaves little doubt that Longhorn is that group. Since March 7th, WikiLeaks has released four batches of files from the agency, part of a leak it calls Vault 7. The CIA hasn't confirmed the veracity of the documents, but said leaks are damaging to U.S. security. WikiLeaks has said the files were leaked by someone concerned over U.S. government policies concerning software vulnerabilities. Vault 7 differs significantly from the broader information that former NSA contractor Edward Snowden passed to media outlets in 2013. The CIA documents describe software flaws and network exploitation techniques in detail. The CIA leak startled the intelligence community due to the strong possibility of yet another insider breach. From the start, Symantec's suspected Longhorn was an outlier that was different from cyber criminal groups. The suspicion arose from a zero-day software exploit the company found embedded within a Microsoft Word document. The exploit delivered a data-stealing tool called Plexor. Symantec says the malware had all the hallmarks of a sophisticated group. Longhorn's malware seemed tuned for cyber espionage. The group also usually targeted governments and international organizations, such as those in the financial, telecoms, and energy industries. In retrospect, Longhorn made operational security errors. Code words were used to identify victims and campaigns. Semantic found ones that would likely indicate the group originated from an English-speaking North American country. One nickname for a piece of malware was Scooby Snack after the animated show Scooby-Doo. 
course, it's entirely plausible that the code names could be intended to point suspicion in another direction, but Symantec noticed the group strangely backed off after it infected a computer in the United States. After that happened, Longhorn actually uninstalled its malware. Who says the CIA is always up to no good? For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Finally, some closing thoughts. Is access to the internet a necessity, like electricity, telephone service, or even automobiles? One congressman doesn't think so. You know, nobody's got to use the internet. That's Representative James Sensenbrenner, the Wisconsin representative, a few weeks back, joined all of his Republican colleagues in Congress and President Donald Trump to gut what would have been new regulations to give the Federal Communications Commission oversight on the way internet service providers sell customers information. Sensenbrenner was responding last week to a constituent at a town hall meeting who complained that she had no choice but to use the only ISP in her community that provided internet access. And she says she felt slighted that Congress voted to diminish what she perceived as privacy protections. That prompted Sensenbrenner's comment that nobody has to use the internet. He's dead wrong. The internet is becoming, in fact, has become a key part of our lives. For most of us, we couldn't function at work, on the road, or at home without the internet. Several surveys, including one from Pew Research, show that while over 80% of Americans use the internet, a 2016 Accenture study found that 11% of the 4,000 North Americans it surveyed switched to a virtual bank during the previous 12 months. That compared with 15% of respondents who left large regional national banks. We're moving more and more toward the virtual. Now, for philosophical and political reasons, Sensenbrenner and his GOP colleagues voted to eliminate the privacy protections. And he and his colleagues see regulations as stifling innovation. If you start regulating the internet like a utility, and we did that right at the beginning, we would have no internet. True, regulations could have an impact, but you can't look at regulations in a vacuum. Many sectors have thrived despite regulations. Market forces, such as turning a profit, exist that promote the expansion of a technology, as we've seen over and over with the internet. If the FCC privacy rules would have remained, there's little doubt that businesses would still invest in growing their internet investments. It's what their customers want and their bottom line demands. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.